Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater Church. My name is Josh. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here. Welcome back to week two of our series entitled This Is Us, all about who we are, uh, what we do, and why we do it. We're really investigating our core values and not simply what we value, but why we value those things that we say that we value. If you're married, maybe you remember a time or maybe you're currently in that spot where you are uh, you're pursuing, right, your, your spouse, your husband, husband or wife or whatever, remember meeting the parents for the first time, hanging, hanging out with the family and learning some of the things that they talk about, some of the things that they do and what makes them tick, some of their family rhythms or practices and, and maybe wondering why, why are they like this? Why are they doing that? And then if you gut it out and you spend enough time with them, maybe you figure out, oh, okay, I get it. This is something that's important to them here and so it's determining their behavior. It's determining why they talk or why they're so loud or whatever it is. Um, so this series is aimed directly at those who call Bridgewater Church their church and we're, we're reminding ourselves why we do what we do. We did say, however, if Bridgewater's not your church yet, you're just dipping your toes in the water, this is a great chance to get to know us. And you might hear things, see things, observe things. Hopefully, this series helps you make those connections and put those things together. As we get started, I want to read something from a book written by a pastor who I know. The book is called Loving Your Community, written by Steve Viers. He's a pastor of a church in Indiana, which is my home state. And uh, here's what he says. It was the end of a very long, hot day. A friend and I were participating in the annual rain ride, short for Ride Across Indiana. Cyclists would start at the Illinois border at sunrise and ride their bicycles straight east to the Ohio border in one day, a distance of over uh, 160 miles. Seasoned participants often talk about the quality of the rest stops. Spread out every 30 miles or so, local volunteers and small communities take great pride in preparing a delightful assortment of ice beverages and high-energy snacks for the riders. Cyclists, families, and friends also use these designated spaces to meet their loved ones and cheer them on to the finish line. If you're a parent or have ever um, had a child or been to a cross-country meet, you kind of understand how this works. I had one of our kids run cross-country a couple of years ago, and you just kind of learn that you're there at the starting line, and they say, go, and... And you're like, yeah, go. And then, and then you watch a whole bunch of parents take off running. I thought this was a student thing, but no, the parents are running too. But they're going to the next spot where the students are going to emerge from out of the woods or from wherever they are. Then once they pass by and they've uh, spent their voice, they go to the next spot and just to catch them and then ultimately back to the beginning. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. He says, the atmosphere is electric because of the convergence of civic pride and athletic accomplishment. There's nothing quite like getting off your bike and having a complete stranger hand you a cold drink and an energy bar, along with a pat on the back and an encouraging word. The various stops along the route even have a friendly competition between communities to see which can serve the athletes best. On this particular afternoon, as a group of us were coming to one of the final stops, I spotted a beautiful church building with a large parking lot. As a pastor myself, I wondered if any of the members of that congregation would be joining their friends and neighbors to serve the athletes and their families. I started ma making mental connections between a vacant church parking lot on a Saturday afternoon and a host of people needing a place to park for a few minutes to serve and celebrate with ones they love. As the scene came into clearer focus, I saw a man dragging a sawhorse down the church driveway with a homemade sign hastily affixed to one end. He was on a mission for sure. And my first thought was, 
I hope that sign does not say what I think it does. Sure enough, I reached the spot just as he was setting up his sign, no parking allowed here. Now, in all fairness, I suppose the church may have been preparing to host a giant event in just a few minutes and simply could not spare any parking spots for these neighbors in need. But honestly, I highly doubt it. The more likely explanation is that they had fallen victim to an attitude and philosophy that seems to affect many churches regarding the way they think about sharing what they have with others in their communities. And that attitude is, say no, unless you have to say yes. Now, I'm not sure how this sits with each of you. I know how it sits with me. I'm pretty confident I know how this would sit with those of you who call Bridgewater Church their church. You're thinking, what? We would have had the very best stop, right? We would have had our shirts. We would have been handing out the best drinks, like the, the costly energy drinks and the best energy bars. And we would have just been like, our band would have been out there playing music and banging drums. And we'd have had people in their sneakers lacing up just to kind of like jog along the bicyclist. Like you'd have been going all out. I know that's true of you. I know it is, which is why you show up to things like this. This is Be the Church Sunday. Let me tell you, the hardest part about this event, and I didn't do it, was for those who were overseeing it, and that was simply getting the jobs. The easy part was making the ask. You guys just showed up. You did. You always do. What, there's a, there's a thing to do with people to serve? We're there. Orange shirts and everything. It wasn't difficult. You know this is what we do. You know this is who we are, and you know the type of impact it has on our community. This was in this campus mailbox this morning. Here's what it says. Dear Bridgewater Church, we are sending this letter of appreciation to all of the members of your church who helped on Sunday, July 30th. We very much appreciated all the hard work that everyone did to try to beautify our town. You have been there before for us in the past, and as you continue to help, it is a tremendous outreach of good people doing a fantastic job for their community. Your kindness and generosity of your time and talents does not go unnoticed. Please accept our thanks once again. Felicia Decker, Halstead Borough Secretary. I know you get it. And she sees a bunch of earnest, good people doing a good work. We say, mm -mm -mm, there's more to it than that. There is more to it than that. This is us. This is what we do. You guys also came through. David reminded you last week on the backpack and pencil box drive. What of you? What of you? hey, could you collect backpacks? Would you just buy some backpacks and pencil boxes? And look at this. It's amazing. Bins full of pencil boxes and a fence loaded with backpacks. This is, this is who you are. You know that God has done something in your life and you are going to do something in return because this is just who we are. What we're doing in this series is reminding ourselves of why. Why are we this way? Why does this stuff get us going? Why does this make us tick? So to do this, we're going to do what we always do. We're going to go back to the Bible. So if you have a Bible with you, turn to John chapter 13. If you're using a device, navigate to John 13. Ask the person next to you how to get there. They'll help you know the way. And as a backup, we've got it on the screen here behind me and in front of you. And John, uh, he's writing a gospel. It's his account of the life of Jesus. And he's tracing us through the events that he thinks are important for us to know. As he does this, we come to John chapter 13. So by this time, 
we have just bypassed all of the major events of Jesus' life according to John, and we're coming to the end of Jesus' time on earth. Okay, so John really, he speeds it all up. He even skips past the birth part. So you're not going to get the Christmas account like you know it in the Gospel of John. You're going to get that in Luke and Matthew. But John just says, hey, God showed up in Jesus, and here he is, and we need to pay attention to him. And so that's what John is doing. By the time we get here, the time is almost here for Jesus to give up his life and to die. All right, so there's an annual festival that they're going to celebrate called the Passover. And Jesus and his 12 closest followers are gathering probably on a Thursday evening here before the weekend. And they've got a special room prepared. And Jesus knows he's about to die, but he wants to gather with this group of his disciples, these 12 men, a very special time. And here's what happens in John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Let's just park it right there for a second, and let's make sure we have the context of what's going on. We've got 12 of Jesus' closest followers. We know them as the disciples, if we're familiar with the Bible. If you're not familiar with the Bible, now you know these 12 closest followers are called his disciples. They're gathering for a special meal. In this group of 12, John's going to point out a couple names. The one name is Judas. We just heard about him. Judas was the treasurer of the group. He was highly trusted. He, he managed the money bag and, and all of the funds that this group would use as they traveled around and Jesus would preach the gospel and perform miracles. Something had happened with Judas. Judas, though, in with the 12, didn't really belong. And he was at work doing something sinister. In fact, we learned from John's account that Satan, the devil, was at work in Judas doing something sinister, and that is to derail Jesus' plan to save the world from its sin. Now, Judas is involved in this, and they're coming to this meal, and here's Jesus with these 12 men, and Judas is among them. Just let that awkwardness sit on you for a second. He's about to die, and here's this guy who's about to give you up in fact, we understand Judas is going to make some money off of this thing. Judas is going to become a wealthy man. He's actually going to make money. He's going to be paid to turn Jesus over to the authorities who want to kill him. We also learn from John here in a minute that Peter is also among them. Peter's a close follower of Jesus, yet the pressure is going to get uh, put on Peter when Jesus is taken away, and Peter's going to deny even knowing Jesus. Jesus also knows that. So 12 men two of them, we're not in a good spot here. I don't know what things are like for you when you know you have to have a difficult conversation. When you walk into a room and someone you're at odds with is there. Maybe that's why you're sitting over here and they're sitting over. I don't know. I don't know anything that's going on. But I, you know what that is. You know when the boss is asked to see you at work. That feeling that you get in your gut. What do you do? If you're anything like me, you're thinking about one person, yourself. 
what am I going to do, right? All thoughts on me, and you mull it over and over in your mind. You lose your appetite. Your mouth goes dry. You can hardly focus. People are talking to you, and all you're hearing is blah, 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 right? You're just sort of tunnel vision. What's happening for Jesus? Look at verse 4. Jesus, with all this going on, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you're clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said, not every one of you was clean. So if you're walking into that room with that group of people, and you're in that spot, normally when you read accounts of Jesus, don't put yourself in Jesus' spot. Right? You're not, you're, neither you nor I are playing the part of Jesus. Okay? But in this particular spot, just imagine you were, and you know what you know, you know who you are, you're thinking about the fact that God had put everything under your power, and here you got these two guys ready to do what they're going to do for you. What are you going to do? Jesus gets up from the table and does something that none of the 12 of them did. Everyone walked into that room, and you know, all 12 of them walked right past the water, right past the basin, thinking one thing, someone else would get it. Surely someone around here is going to come wash our feet. It's customary in this time for that to happen. It's typically a job reserved for the lowest servant or the youngest child. It's not glamorous. And it's important to know in this context too why, why it's a big deal because the tables are low. They're not sitting in chairs. You read often in the New Testament, they're reclining at the table. They're down on a hip or on one cheek down on the floor and their feet are going down you know, behind the person next to them. So if I turn around, your feet are right there. Everything that's on your feet is making its way to my nose. It's not a pretty picture. But it's important to know that. I mean, their feet would have been disgusting. This is pre-shoe. This is like strappy things and sandals and stuff. This is what they have. If you've ever traveled to a developing country or been in any major U.S. city, you kind of understand the things you're walking on or around. It's not a small thing. In fact, for some people, just the thought of feet gross you right out. I know that. And here in this moment, Judas is looking at his silver that's coming his way for what he's about to do. Jesus is eyeing down death, staring it in the face, and he doesn't even deserve it. Those 12 do. We all do. And he says, hey, there's water. There's a basin. Here's a towel. I'm about to get to work here. Serving is the way of Jesus. It is. It's, it's the natural. It's the expected response of followers of Jesus. Jesus did the dirty work, and if we're going to be like our Savior, that's a choice we need to make. We need to do the dirty work. In this example, in this case, it was foot washing. Fast forward to right now, 2023. 
What is the dirty work for you? What is the dirty work in your context? What is the dirty work in the world in which you live? Now we need to be careful here. Jesus knew everything about these men. Everything. He didn't ask him to change. He didn't say, Peter, call it off. Judas, abort mission. He didn't do any of that. He just served him. The king of kings served men that he himself spoke into existence. He said, I'll do it, knowing what was in their hearts. And here I find it difficult even just to be kind to someone who's been rude to me, who's ignored me, let alone betrayed me or denied even knowing me. It's easy to serve our friends, those who serve us, but what about those who would betray us? How about those who talk about us behind our back? How about those who stab us in the back? So this is Jesus, and this is Judas, but then there's Peter. And Peter's in his own little world here. Peter's like, what's going on here? You shouldn't be doing that. And Jesus doesn't say, you should be. No. He says, Peter, I need to wash your feet. And Peter says, then do the whole thing. And Jesus is talking about a a metaphor. He basically reveals two things that Peter misunderstood. First, Peter totally misunderstood the mission. If by now, Peter thought that Jesus shouldn't be serving people, he's not been paying attention. Jesus has been laying down his life the entire time until the moment when he actually dies. People want to come follow Jesus all the time. And he's like, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. I don't have a home. You want to follow me? That's what it's going to be like. The king of kings who created the world found no home in the world that he created. He was here to serve. He says, you want to follow me? That's what it's going to be like. You need to be willing to give it up. Give up your security. Give up your home, your pillow, and follow me. Peter missed that somehow. Secondly, Peter misunderstood that this foot washing was a spiritual metaphor for for cleansing. This is why Jesus said, Peter, I only need to get your feet, buddy. You're, you're good. You're forgiven. You're with me. You just, you need to get cleaned up here. But not every one of you is clean, talking about Judas, knowing that his heart did not belong to God. He was not following Jesus. Jesus is saying, when you ask him to be the forgiver and leader of your life, you are cleansed. And serving then becomes your calling. It becomes your duty. But looking at Jesus' life, it also seems to become your delight. Jesus was willing to serve all of them. But it goes even further than doing a dirty job and humbling yourself like that. There's another choice we see Jesus making here, and that is this. Serve your enemies. If you're taking notes, here's the second one. First, do the dirty work. Second, serve your enemies. Jesus was willing to serve those who would betray him and deny even knowing him. let alone the other annoying things the other 10 guys must have done. He was continually having to say, not like that, like this. Not like that, like this. Oh, how long do I have to put up with you guys? Come on, let's go. Jesus was going like that often with these people. What this means for us is we serve people who believe differently than us, who behave unlike us means we didn't have a filter. We didn't, one of the requirements for Be the Church Sunday was not that you be a follower of Jesus and have a Christian organization. No, we just serve people. 
who believe differently, who behave differently. Didn't matter. That's the way of Jesus. And beyond behaving and believing differently, there's also enemies. Judas was set up squarely against Jesus' mission. Jesus served him. Peter, in a moment of pressure, was like, I don't really, I'm not really involved in this. Jesus served him too. There was no application. There weren't qualifications. There's just existence. You exist, I'll serve you. I'm here for you, laying my life down for you. Maybe for you or for me, this means serving people, loving people who may never sit next to you in church, who may never get on board because this is the way of Jesus. He came to just serve. We're here to serve our community, even if they believe differently, even if they behave differently, even if they position themselves as our enemies. For per- Personally, I think this means serving people who just have a different style of life than me, people who have different political views than me, people who drive a different brand of car than me. That's the wrong truck. You got the wrong brand. The wrong color tractor. Doesn't matter. Whether it's serious or not, this is serving everybody. These things need to be true of us if we're going to have any hope of having an impact on our community. Let's look at what happens next. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on and returned to his place. You can imagine him looking them in the eye and saying, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus is telling them to do what? To wash each other's feet. I've set the example. Do what I do. Do the dirty work of serving. Pastor and author John Mark Comer says this, being a follower of Jesus is about following him and living as Jesus lived. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. The way of Jesus is a way of life. It's not a set of ideas, a list of do's and don'ts. It's a way of life. He served people. He served his friends. He served his enemies. He served those who would betray and deny him. And we've got to really lean into what Jesus is saying here because it's not just about the foot washing. It's about the motivation and the posture behind doing an act like that. It's the humility. It's the love that motivates the service. Jesus is cleaning the garbage, the mud, the muck, the mire, the dirt off their feet. He's wiping them down, getting the toe jam out from between their toes. This is not glamorous. And if you just kind of like gagged a little bit, you're probably getting an accurate picture. Jesus is making a choice to love them through serving And if we want to follow Jesus, we need to live like he lived and do what he did. Who in this room is going to look at that and say, I get it, Jesus could do that, but I don't, I don't. If your thoughts are anything like that, we're not there yet. If Jesus would do it, who in the world do I think I am? That I'm above it. Verse 16, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I love that word blessed. It means happy. You will be happy if you do this. What? 
the way to happiness is service? Jesus, come on. That's what it is. He says, this is your duty. I, as your Lord and teacher, have done this. You need to do it too, and you'll be blessed. You will be happy if you do it. The way to fulfillment, the way to satisfaction, the way to happiness is through laying down my pride, my life, and picking up the towel and serving people. In fact, if if you could sum up what Jesus said in four words, it might just be this. Save people, serve people. Gordon MacDonald, an uh, author, is pretty insightful. Here's what he says. You can tell whether you're becoming a servant by how you act when people treat you like one. Listen, I don't want to minimize what happened on Be the Church Sunday across all the Bridgewater locations, but that was our call. That was on our timetable. We set aside the time for that. We got the shirts. We did that. What about when it's spur of the moment, inconvenient, costly? What about in those moments? Are you focused on serving or on self-serving? If we would be like Jesus, we are focused on serving. Even Matthew, in his account of Jesus' life, says this in Matthew 20, 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I think, I think hopefully so far this makes sense to you. But you've got to know this is not the world we live in. This is not the culture we live in. Just look at Burger King for an example. Burger King. In 2016, they changed their 40-year-old slogan from have it your way to be your way. And now they splash in all kinds of little um, words and and phrases into their jingle. And the most annoying one now at at the end that they have currently is you rule, right? And you get the crown, you get to come out of there and like, yeah, my way. I've been served. And without even thinking, we bring this truth, we bring this philosophy everywhere we go in our homes, in our churches, in the church. The music's got to be the way I want it, preaching the way I want it. This ministry team's got to function the way I want it on my schedule. This has got to be the way it is. We show up in our homes like that. We put off people in our homes. We show up to our workplaces like that. We make no friends because it's just got to be our way. I'm not immune to this. This is, this is how it is. I mean, it feels good to walk into a a restaurant. You know, one of those restaurants where they give you a cloth napkin? You get to put that across your lap or tuck it into your shirt. Like, I am ready for you to serve me. Right? Take it even further. You go to some places, you get a little moist wipe. Right? If you're having ribs or like seafood or something, you can get all that butter and junk off your fingers and out of your beard, unless you want to save it for later. My kids hate that joke. Jesus came to serve. He didn't come to be served. You know, Jesus wasn't into wearing a bib. Some of us, some of us are into wearing a bib. We just easily go here. We just walk into places and expect it to go. I can't even put this on. Just call it good. And we might not, might not even know that we have it on. You know who knows we have it on? Everybody else. Everybody else. You see, these bibs are really, really, really hard to see in a mirror. Really, really easy to see out a window. And you can see this in others and have a difficult time 
seeing it in ourselves. Family needs to be the way I want it. Church needs to be the way I want it. Traffic needs to go according to the way I would direct it. Jesus says, away with the bib. This is not who we are. This isn't us. Jesus was into something else. You might have seen these around today. Hopefully you did. This was Jesus' speed right here. Jesus was into the apron. This is what he did. This is what he did in the room with his 12 closest followers, two of whom were going to break his heart or surrender him up to be killed. He put this on, and he washed their feet. Now, actions may speak louder than words, but Jesus backed up his actions with words and says, you need to do what I've done. If you're going to follow me, this is what we wear. This is us. And I wonder if you have an apron or a bib mentality. I wonder what it would take for you and me to make the choice. Take off that bib and put on the apron. I wonder what could possibly begin to change in your world, in my world, if I more regularly remembered apron is my game. Apron is what I do. How would your marriage change if you put that apron on? I remember Kristen and I visited the pastor's home. We had eaten dinner. Dessert was coming, but after dinner, they both got up, husband, wife, and she went in the kitchen and was working on the dishes, and so was he. And he got the rag and was wiping off the counter and wiped off the table. He got the broom, picked up sweeping, and I... He's just kind of going on about his business, and I'm just, what is happening here? And why is no one sitting and talking to us? It's just kind of awkward. He sits back down, and I say, what just happened? And he said, oh, well, if I take the words of Jesus seriously, then in my home, no one should be a greater servant than me. And it's really hard to outserve this one. I've never forgotten it. What about your workplace or your community, even, even church? What might change? You see, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to value what he valued. We need to do what he did. And he would say to us, saved people serve people. You want to know who we are? This is it. This is us. Jesus gave up his life for you and for me while we were his enemies. We need to be like our Savior. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, that's a tall order. How do I do that? How could, I, how could I hope to do that? Let me give you just a few suggestions. First, if you're married, serve your spouse. Find the one job that they hate to do and do it for them. Now, if you're like me, you're probably not going to do it correctly. Some things, some things there's just a way to do them, like loading the dishwasher. A couple nights ago, I tried my hand. I just wanted to serve, and I loaded up that dishwasher. I'll have you know, only three things needed to be corrected. <laughs> just wait. There's more. Two nights ago, was it last night? I don't remember. I do it so often. <laughs> That's not in my notes. But last time, last time I did it, only two things needed to be corrected. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. But seriously, Paul writes in Romans, outdo one another in showing honor. Just find that thing 
just get it done. Do it wrong. The heart behind it ought to help. All right? Secondly, ask yourself, what are the greatest unmet needs in our community that someone like me could meet or my small group could meet? And then just go do it. You do not need to wait for Sunday, July 30th or whatever date it is next year. You don't need to wait. If there's a need, meet the need. And some of you are very well connected. You know what needs done. And guess what? You got a bunch of people with aprons here. We can get something done, even off calendar. Number three, serve your kids when you're tired. Parents, power off your phone, ask them what they want to do and do it. Do your own better. Kids, put your phone away and engage with your parents. You would not believe how that serves them. It's super hard, I know. They're ultra boring. I get it. <laughs> I am one. All right? Put on the apron in that way. All right, number four, and I want you to pay attention to this one. Park far. Now come early, park far, and sit close. When it comes to church, get here early. Park far away. Save those close spots for someone else and sit close. I'm staring here at a couple empty rows. I did not know it was going to be this way. <laughs> I'm just going to let this land right here on you, okay? There was a time for most of us that we can remember when we were very uncomfortable coming into a church building. And the thought of having to sit up here would have just choked you right out. No way. I'm not doing it. But now you're comfortable. You're here. You belong. Guess what? We fill in from the front back and from the middle out so that people who are not familiar with God or his church can come in here and not have to be marched to the front row. They can enjoy a spot in the back. We'll even throw up a row for them. This is us. This is what we do. We come early, we park far, and we sit close. Last suggestion, number five. Think back to what you did and Be the Church Sunday. Is there something that God started in your heart on that day? that you need to just give expression to. Maybe there's a new way for you to volunteer, a new hobby to pick up, and you just serve on a weekend or every month or whatever. Whatever it is, is there something that God would give life to if you would just pursue it? These are just suggestions, but possibilities are really endless for us. Point is, save people, serve people. We need to figure out what the apron means for us. All right? But it's not easy. So let's pray. God, here I am, standing in front of these people and in front of you with an apron on, yet often in my heart, I do not have the apron on. That bib fits my heart really well, and it's where I often go to. It's what I often think like, and it's the tragic result of many of my choices. And I'm here today to ask you to help me and help all of my brothers and sisters here to be like Jesus in this way and to serve people and to find that there is joy in it. Jesus himself said so. It was not, it was not beneath him, and it's certainly not beneath us. But I need you to recalibrate my heart in the hearts of everyone here because we want to do this for you so that we can make a difference for you and find that living for you is the most satisfying, wonderful, fulfilling life we could possibly live. Give us faith to believe that's true. And I pray that our world, our family, our workplaces, marriages, communities would never be the same because of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.